Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening, come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning, everybody. All right, let's jump right in. We've got uh, several different things to look at today. I am excited because today, if you're keeping track or if you're not, I put it on the handout each week, is uh, week 13 of our series in Romans. And for those of you that are good with math, seeing that we, have com- we will complete chapter 4 of the 16 today, uh, we are both from a calendar perspective and from a volume perspective of Romans, 25% of the way through the study. So if it feels like that, great. If it doesn't, then great. But we're still going to be 25% of the way through Romans. So I'm excited about that. So I'm going to ask the same question each week. Uh, Are we making sure that we are doing this? Uh, And I want to talk just for a second this morning about what I am doing each week. uh, So you can kind of see and hear how that works. Uh, What I have typically done in the past is a whole lot of uh, ask the Spirit for help, read the Scripture a couple of times, look around, make sure I'm in the ballpark. And then from a Monday or Tuesday, I start with the tools and then just work all the way around the week until Saturday and finish up on Saturday with looking at all the other resources and whatnot. Uh, what I have done with this series is uh, spend from, if you start the week here, uh, all the way through uh, the scripture part is probably going to be uh, Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon. I'm doing nothing but reading the scripture and asking the Holy Spirit for help. Not looking at any tools, not looking at any resources, not looking up any, not looking up any words, nothing. Uh, I read what you guys send in uh, on usually Thursday. I go over it with a fine tooth comb. And then Friday and Saturday, I look at tools. Uh, so that's how I have shifted as going through Romans. And I don't know if you have noticed a difference or not, but it feels different for me because it's much more, uh, Lord, please speak, and less uh, on page 426 of someone's book, this is what this is. So I am enjoying it quite a bit more. Uh, so I hope that you are as well. So today's class, we're going to read the text, explain the text, apply the text, personalize it, and then do some table prayer time. Uh, this is where we're at right now. We have looked at righteousness introduced. We have looked at uh, righteous wrath. This was the oppressive, uh, awful, you're guilty, you're guilty. We're, this is the oppressive, awful, we're guilty, we're guilty, we're guilty. Uh, we're in the middle of this saving righteousness right now. We'll finish up this section, which works for a pretty good break because we don't have Sunday school next week because next week is Easter at Coolidge, yes. Uh, so we will uh, not meet here. We will all meet there uh, next week at 9 for the, not at 9.07, the egg hunt starts at 9, so remember that. Uh, and then the week after Easter, we will start with Righteous Freedom. We'll do this and basically until Labor Day. And then from Labor Day through um, kind of a, uh, a couple of, another month, a month and a half in righteousness. Righteous Living will get us right up through 
uh, the beginning of November, and then we'll do November and December in the closing and the summarize. So kind of gives you a timeline of what we're uh, looking to do there. So today's text is Romans 4, 13 through 25. So like I talked about last week, we're going to read the section that we're in. So we'll start with 321 and go through 425. So if you got Romans 3, 21 through 425. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from the works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. 
He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Amen. I, I hope you love reading the scriptures. I hope you love hearing the scriptures read. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to be able to hear the scriptures. Um, I posted a book that I had uh, recently purchased on the Sunday School Facebook page a couple of weeks ago, and it has really challenged me in my approach to reading the Scripture and how we engage, uh, and I hope that you will uh, take seriously the reading of the text of God's Word. So before we jump into today's text and looking at the words and the application and the uh, observations and whatnot, I want to go to 2 Corinthians one twenty, just real quick. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, So what is, what is Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1 about? Does anybody have a header? Lots of changes of plans, right? So he's, he's talking about several different things here in this section from verses 12 to 24. And he, he kind of, he does, you know, a, a wonderful Pauline bit of a, um, I won't call it a, a rabbit trail, we'll call it an excursus. Uh, to go and and talk about promises for just a second. So look at verse um, 17. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always... Yes. For all the promises of God. And where do the promises of God, where do we find them in the Bible? In what part of the Bible? Where do we, the promises that he's talking about, what part of the Bible are we talking about? Everything in the Old Testament. All the promises of God in the Old Testament find their yes in who? In Jesus, right, in him. So, when we talk about the promise realized through faith in this text in Romans, please understand it is realized through Jesus. These Old Testament promises, here's your first blank on your handout. Uh, and yes, it's three pages today, so it is what it is. We have a printer now in the office that does staples, so. <laughs> Y'all just might want to get used to three or four page handouts at this point, so. <laughs> Uh, All right, so the Old Testament promises are fulfilled in Jesus. I think it is wonderful sometimes just to step way far back and make sure we have a really macro perspective on who this is really about and how we actually get these things fulfilled. So literary structural observations of this particular text. Uh, We've got a couple Old Testament references, so where do they show up? What verses in this Romans 4, 13 through 25 have Old Testament references? 17's got one. It's open book. Say again? 
18's got one. Anywhere else? I'll give you a hint. Look for quotation marks. It's one of the things I really like about the ESV. It doesn't just like, doesn't just like offset it if it's a line or two. It actually puts it in quotes. Um, it's one of the things that was so difficult for me as a child, uh, having had somebody that really beat good grammar and punctuation rules into me in probably middle school, early high school, was reading the King James when I was growing up. There was no quotation marks. It's like, give me a quotation mark once in a while so I know when it starts and when it... And it's, it's just, it's helpful to have this in the ESV. So we got one in eight, 17, one in 18, anywhere else? 20... 22, right? Anything else? 23, yep. Every once in a while, I find a mistake in my teacher notes. So if those, those of you who are following along, you that have that pulled up, you'll see a mistake in there. But that's why we have an undo button. So it's good. Uh, anything else? Any other literary or structural observations of this particular text? Anybody notice anything? One of the things that I like to do when I get into uh, a series is be very consistent in the questions that I ask. Uh, and just because we ask a question doesn't mean there's going to be a ton of answers to it. Sometimes you ask a question and the answer is, no, nah, not much. And that's okay. That's absolutely okay. So I didn't, I didn't see a whole lot else if you did and pipe up, but I haven't heard anybody pipe up, so we'll keep moving. So what do the words mean? Uh, and the reason this is a three-page handout is there were a lot of words for this text. It's about as long as it gets that we'll keep it in one week. Um, and you could make an argument that verses 13 through 15 should kind of been included in last week's text, but it's up to you how you want to divide that stuff up. So let's look at uh, what do the words mean here. So for the promise or the announcement or the message, the promise to Abraham, his name means father of a multitude, and his offspring. So his offspring. I'm looking around the room. Okay, there we go. Um, the, the Greek word here is S-P-E-R-M-A, so it is what it is. And his offspring, that he would be, uh, present middle infinitive, would continue to be an heir. Uh, the word means an inheritor or heir, H-E-I-R. Uh, I want you to write down the word that it was translated from English because many times, I spend a lot of time talking about what this word could also mean, and many more times the word that we have in English is exactly what the word meant in the original Greek. So have some confidence in the translations that we use because they are really, really, really good. We've had several hundred years with the English language to get this right. We've had several hundred years of brilliant scholarly work to move towards very, very good. Our language moves and adapts and evolves, and these translations have done so as well. So um, this is my... Be thankful that we have a good English translation, and we actually have several. So an heir of the world. Um, this is one of my favorite Greek words. Uh, it means orderly arrangement or decoration. Um, and if you think about, if you're the one that created the cosmos, when, when God created the world, think about it as a decoration. And when do we put decorations out? When there's something special, there's a holiday, something we want to celebrate or rejoice about. So he put the world out to rejoice in himself. And it's for his decoration, for his adornment of the universe that he did this. Um, the, the closest I can come to this is there's a scene at the very, sorry, I'm talking about movies now. There's a scene at the very end of um, Men in Black, you know what I'm talking about, where they're playing marbles. And you go, oh, it's like there's this whole bigger, wait, that hurt my brain for just a second, right? And it's one little piece of the whole universe, but we are considered the, 
the decoration. It's a beautiful thing. So it did not come through that word dia. We talked about it last week, the through, the diameter, the law, the nomos. But, so we're comparing something here, through dia, the righteousness or the equity or the justification of faith. And this word faith, if you want to keep a tally of how many times faith shows up in this text, it, it shows up quite a bit. Uh, one of the things I like about the ESV's section headings is that the words that they choose for the section heading come from the actual text. So it's not a, oh, that doesn't help me. It, it does help you quite a bit. So of faith, this persuasion, this moral conviction, this reliance upon, this belief, fidelity. Uh, it's been used about 15 times so far in Romans. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, the same word back in verse 13, faith, there it is again, is null. It's made empty. It's neutralized. It's in vain. And the promise, same word back in verse 13, is void. This is to be destroyed or to be done away with. So it's, it's if, if you get there, if you get righteousness by keeping the law, then, then faith is empty and destroyed. Well, that makes no sense, right? So in math, there's a, there's a principle that if you start out to prove something, you have an assumption, and you start out to prove something, and you come to something that is a contradiction, and you have not broken any laws of mathematics in your proof, then whatever you set out to prove is not true. Because the results of that are not true. So Paul is using a, it's actually a really old mathematical argument. Um, if this, then that is not true, then this is not true. So again, he, he says it like 19 different ways. It's not about the law. So verse 15, for the law brings, um, watch me when as, I, as I describe this word. It works, it accomplishes, it causes, it does, it, it, is, it is fashioning something. There's your blank, fashions. It creates. Um, every time that I looked at this word up in a different dictionary, it, it made me feel like somebody was, they're forming and they're, they're putting together. And if we think about what the law is doing, the law is working together to form and build us a picture of what? What's the next word? Oh, <laughs> oh, now we're, now we're back here, right? Righteous wrath. See, Paul lays these foundations because he's going to use these arguments later on. So don't forget the wrath. The wrath is going to come up in later sections. So for the law fashions wrath. But where there is no law, no nomos, there is no transgression, no violation, no breaking, no transgression. We'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get to the end of the lesson today. This is just the words part right now. That is why it depends on faith. Right? Same word that we've seen. In order that the promise, same word back in 13 and 14, may rest on grace, on charis, and be guaranteed. The word is stable or firm or steadfast. Guaranteed to all his offspring, all his remnant, all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares. Now, when we think about this word shares uh, the faith, if I say the word, did, do you share the faith? What do you immediately think? Like, I'm, I'm giving it out, I'm distributing, I'm evangelizing. That's not what this word's talking about. This is possession, in the sense of possession? Do you share in the faith? Do you, do you have this? Are you in this family? Um, so there's a couple different ways to look at this, but this is the, the sense of the word. 
So not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith. So these are the people who shares the faith of Abraham, which is amazing because we're going to look at Abraham a lot here in just a minute. Who is right now, present middle indicative, the father, the parent of us all. As it is written, perfect middle, I have made you the father of many nations. So this goes back to Genesis 17, 5. In the presence, or right in front of, the God in whom he believed, or had faith in, or put trust in, who gives life, or who quickens the dead and calls into existence... Calls into existence. I'll give you a chance to turn all your pages. Sorry, there we go. Calls into existence the things that do not exist. You're going, wait, hang on. How do you, how do you call into existence something that doesn't exist? Ex nihilo, <laughs> right? Out of nothing. Go back to Genesis 1. That's where this began. It should not surprise us that God is not limited to creating things out of nothing only once in the history of the world. He still has all this power. He, he can still do this. He is going to do this again and again and again in the future. Right? What, what does he do every time someone is saved? He creates a Christian out of... Virtually nothing, yeah, I'm going to say. Right? And this is beautiful. He continues to do this. this. We see this pattern of God's creative work in the Scripture. So he, to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist, in hope, in confidence or faith and hope, he believed, he, had, he put his faith in, against hope, same word, that he should become the father of many nations or many ethnoses, uh, races or tribes, or you can even translate the word foreigner. As he had been told or called to, so in this way shall your offspring be. So that's from Genesis 15, 5. And again, we're going to go back in a minute and look at these chapters in Genesis. He did not weaken. Uh, The word is to be feeble or impotent or sick or weaken um, in faith. So he didn't weaken in his faith when he considered or beheld or discovered or perceived his own body. So he looked at his own body, which was as good as... Dead. Yeah, the Greek word there is nekros, actually, which is just dead. Since he was in existence right then, about 100 years old, or when he had considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. The word for womb is metra. It's where we get our English word matrix. Uh, things, uh, things are formed out of a matrix. There's something that comes out that is more complex than was there to begin with. So no, no unbelief. Did I put the, the Greek word there, apostia? I did. Uh, do you remember the, the Greek word for faith? It's uh, pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. Look at this word here. Ah, so it's the opposite, P-I-S-T-I-A. So the last letter changes. That's usually just a different form of uh, speech. So this is the opposite of faith. So no opposite of faith made him waver. No disbelief or unfaithfulness or unbelief made him waver. And this waver means to separate thoroughly, to withdraw from, to oppose, to hesitate, to stagger, to waver. So no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong or empowered, emboldened in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced Uh, It's a really rich word here. It means to carry it out fully or completely assured, entirely accomplished, uh, fully persuaded, made full proof is your blank. Made full proof. 
So there's no, there's no sense of um, unbelief in this space. He's made full proof. Fully convinced that God was able or powerful enough to do what he had promised, what he had messaged earlier to him. And this is why his, Abraham's faith, was counted. Did I put the word in there? Legizome. Remember legizome from last week, the accounting term? Yes. If you're a math person, last week's lesson was all for you. Um, that it was legizome to him as righteousness. So God saw Abraham's faith and credited his account with righteousness. Does that sound eerily similar to anything Paul has been talking about so far? Yes, it's the exact same salvific process that he's been talking to us about so far. But the words, it was counted, legizome, uh, to him were not written for his sake alone. Here it is. Get ready to get excited. But for ours also, which is awesome. Because that whole setup in the Old Testament was not just for Abraham. So Abraham could go be the friend of God and have communion and a relationship with God. He's setting it up to give us an example for us as well. It's a beautiful, beautiful illustration. And if, if you don't think God's okay with taking his time fleshing something out, <laughs> he, he is okay taking his time literally fleshing this out. So it will be counted, look at Zeme again, to us who believe or have faith, same word for faith, in him who raised or woke or lifted up him from the dead, from the necros, Jesus our Lord who was delivered up or yielded up or committed, given up for our trespasses, our side slips, our errors, our transgressions, our falls, our faults, our offenses, sins, or trespasses, however you want to say it, our issues, and raised, same word for verse 24, for our justification, for our acquittal. So there's just a little bit of theology in there. Um, so let's take a look at a couple of things. So any repeated words? Faith, yeah. How many times you count it? You may count it. Seven. I have a seven. I have another seven. If I get one more seven, we're going to say that's complete. Do I hear a seven? Do I hear another number? Nobody else counted. We'll go with seven. All right. Uh, what else do you see? Faith. Counted. Counted's in there. Yes, absolutely. Promise. Promise. Yes. Promise. Believe. Our. Law, yes. We're, Paul is going to use nomos about, I don't even know how many times. Like, my computer program probably doesn't count that high. So it's just, it's a lot. Uh, anything else? Offspring. Offspring is like what this text is about. Who is your daddy is what this text is about. I laugh every time I say it, but it's really a good summary of, like if you want to write an irreverent section title for the scripture, that's a good one. Uh, so, it, repeated topics. Repeated topics. Yes. Yes, he is. He's asking questions and answering questions. Answering questions and answering, asking questions. And just going back and forth and back and forth. Remember, because this is, this is a letter being delivered, so he's not going to be there to like, rebut what they come back with. He's, he's got to put his answers to their potential questions in the actual letter. If so. he's writing this in corn with a quill, yes. in one shot, no word processor, no, no yeah. autocorrect, no, you know, I'm sure he's been... It's remarkable. Arguments for it's, a great deal yes. of time, but it shows you the presence of God. Yeah. How can it make? 
how could it make sense on version one, right? That's, yeah. that's just... Which also gives you a little bit of insight into the intelligence level of a man that God could use to actually understand this without the benefit of a couple of thousand years of Christian scholarship. Right? Thank you. There you go. And what does he have a couple of thousand years of? Old Testament scholarship. Right? See, we like to think that, well, people became smart about 100 years ago. Did we just read this? <laughs> no, they were brilliant people who were intimately connected with the Holy Spirit that were able to do these beautifully wonderful things. So, but they're um, the same problems we're having today. Yeah, isn't that amazing? You know why? Because they had the same enemy <laughs> who was still doing the same stupid stuff. So it's consistent. I'm sorry, I, I couldn't hear you at all. Uh, I think you could put a lot of uh, titles of justification on a whole bunch of the sections of this. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's where we end, right? Because if you, if you want to know where Paul's, where he's going, you look at the end. You look at the beginning, how he sets it up. You look at the end. And the middle is really the example of how we're doing this. But don't forget that all of chapter 4 is an example of 321 to 31. So he makes this point of salvation by grace through faith. And then he spends chapter 4 saying, exhibit 1 is Abraham, exhibit 2 is David, and I'm going to go flesh out exhibit 1 again with Abraham. So it's this beautiful explanation of this. All right, so a couple observations of the text. Now you'll notice that there's a sidebar there. It's a beautifully wonderful question. Uh, And we have to go back to the Old Testament to look it up here a little bit. So Jessica Miller put this in uh, the Romans Facebook page. I want to say, Jessica, no offense to anybody else, I think this is the best question that's been asked so far. So, uh, and here's why I like this question. I like this question not because it was hard or difficult or whatever. I like this question because it drives us into the text to find an answer. It does not say, well, what does so-and-so commentary say about this? No, no, no. We, we can answer this particular question. So, um, if Abraham never wavered, why did he go to Hagar, right? So, we know who Hagar is. Yes, so Sarah was Abraham's, be a little more specific, first wife, right? And Hagar, it's that part we don't like to talk about, right? Uh, all right, so let's do a little timeline of Abraham's life. And I, I recognize the font's small, but you can go online and see this. So Genesis 12, we'll pick up here in Genesis 12. He is called. He's 75 years old when he's called, okay? So... <laughs> He dies at 175, so he's still pretty good ways into his life. So, uh, Genesis 14, we have this, uh, this story about Lot and Melchizedek. And it, it's, it's important to understand in Abraham's development, but for our purposes here, not quite as much. In Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And this is the first time he promises something. In Genesis 16, this is 10, 11 years later, Hagar. And who's Hagar's child? Ishmael. And Ishmael's the father of the Ishmaelites. Right. Good. What would they be known as today? Ar- Typically Arabs, right? In, in general, this is, this is where the Arabic folks came from. Uh, so so does, is Isaac alive yet? No, Isaac is not alive. Isaac comes in in chapter 21. 
So Hagar happens here in Genesis 17 in the first half of 18. 13 years later, God tells him to be circumcised. And he specifically promises a son to you. I mean, we get, we get very, very specific. He says, you're going to be the father back here, but you're going to have a very specific son here. The second time he promises this. Now, this is really close here. Like, we think these are pretty close. And at 100, Isaac is born. And you're going, 100? Yes. Hit the reset button at 100. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so the question is, so he's called at 75. He's promised here, has this sin. Well, we'll be very specific. This is sin. This is unbelief. I think this is actually an example of works. I'm going to go try to work to accomplish what God has promised as opposed to believe what God has promised. I think Hagar is a, a great example of that. And then this is an example of I'm actually going to believe what God has promised. Now, here's the question. The question is, what, and this isn't the question that's on your handout. My question to you is, what part of Abraham's life is this text talking about? And I'm not going to try to answer it in Sunday school today. I'm going to illustrate it out. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to try to lead you to the, what I think the answer is by asking another question. Is Paul making a case about salvation, or is he making a case about the demonstration of salvation? In his argument, in his argument so far. Remember, 321 to 31 is about what? How do we get righteousness? By faith. faith. Right? And chapter 4 is an example. This is why structure matters. Because if you understand how things are structured, you can understand where they're going with the argument. This is very important in Bible study. So if you think about chapter 4 being an example of how we get faith, how we get righteousness through faith by grace, then... What's he talking about here? He's talking about salvation. He's not talking about the evidence of salvation, which makes a difference in how we would interpret that. So I would say that today's text is talking about um, this back here, this promise where he was, it was believed, where he actually became saved, and his faith did not waver here is this wavering faith? This is all kinds of garbage sin right here. Absolutely. You can put this in the trash can. I mean, this is horrible, horrible disbelief, lack of faith. You, I would say uh, swerved off the road, in the ditch, three counties over, forgot where the path. I mean, this is bad, bad. It's more than wavering, right? But over the trend of his life, does his faith increase? Yeah, quite a bit. So I think this can actually be an example of um, you see the back of my shirt? Justin, this is why it didn't make sense. Y'all were wondering where Acton Nepal had to do with today's Sunday school class, right? So we, we see the actions as greater than words, and God looked at his belief back here and said, righteousness. And we want to focus on this, because this feels like it disqualifies. This feels like it's... Because I can look back and I can say, I've, like, we all have these Hagar moments of disbelief where we swerved off the road and God didn't throw Abraham away. And it's beautiful. Yes, ma'am. I think it also demonstrates God's grace. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of restoration, right? It's just it's wonderful. All right, so let's jump back into uh, your handout. So you got verse 13, a couple observations here. Uh, our salvation is not... Oh, Dia. I forgot Dia. Remember Dia? All right, so Dia. Is, does our salvation... Remember what nomos? Nomos means the what? The law. Does our salvation go through nomos? No, right? Big X. No. What about pistis? Does our salvation go through faith? Yes, very much so. Change that to an exclamation point. Uh, very much so. It goes through faith. So our salvation is not dia the law, but dia faith. It's a big, big, big difference. Look at the phraseology there in verse 14. For it's the adherents of the law who are to be theirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. Null and void. What kind of language does that sound like? It's legal language, absolutely. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's where null and void came from. Um, that this is very legal language. He's making a legal argument here. Uh, verse 15, for the law brings wrath, but where there, is, there, where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now, some people have read this verse uh, to my uh, great just revulsion. Uh, I think you have to completely ignore Romans 1 through 3 to come to this conclusion and say that if you've never heard the law, that you're not guilty. Exactly. It's exactly right. He's just like wrinkled up faces and going, no, that's not what we've been studying the last 13 weeks, right? What have we been doing? The gavel has been falling. Guilty, 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 guilty. Um, you may not know you're guilty, right? The, 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 the school zone speed limit sign outside my daughter's high school, somebody ran it over and it's not there anymore, okay? Which, like something went horribly wrong. Somebody got in the ditch. There we go, right? They wavered. Um, the, the sign is not there. There is still a school zone there. It is still against the law to go 90 miles an hour through there. You may not know that it is, but it is still against the law to do that. So um, you, you can take a verse completely out of context and out of its larger context and end up with some really, really bad theology. Uh, all right, so let's, let's kind of summarize real quick. What's the point? Application number one, faith brings grace. Right? This is how we usher this. It's how he ushers this in. We don't usher this in. It's how he ushers this in. Thank you, Jay. You gave me this dead stare look like, no, nope, I don't think that was right. Yep, good. Uh, I've got a, a couple of you by your responses uh, on your countenance can give me instant feedback on my theology. So thank you for that. Keep that up. Uh, what brings wrath? The law does, yes. Uh, extra points for you if you wrote nomos. Um, I'm just saying... So application number one, faith brings grace. So what do we do with that? Well, I would encourage you to believe, uh, number one, on the personalization. Uh, and the law brings wrath. So it is working. It is fashioning wrath. And I don't want any part of that. So how about number two, we believe. Um, and I think uh, number three here is that a choice will be made. Every human being will either choose faith or the law. So what do we want to do with that? We want to believe. That's what we want to do. We want to believe. So faith, law, will, and then believe, believe, believe. So we have just concluded the third of what I think are eight major sections of Romans. 25% of the way through. This is good. No Sunday school next week. We will start off with righteous freedom. Uh, chapters 5 through 8, which are really some of the um, more positive sections of all of Romans. 
Uh, so I would encourage you to be familiar with that. Don't skip the, the bottom of page 30 there on your handout. That's where our homework is. Uh, and that is the lesson for today. So at your tables is the weekly update. So make sure your name is at the bottom of that or the name of anybody who was here. So make sure those that have departed, their names get fully credit for that. And then pray as a group and you are dismissed. Thanks for coming to Sunday School today, guys. Mm-hmm.